In the past four weeks, we've had the privilege of having some guest speakers. I hope you have enjoyed them as much as I have. It's been a great delight to hear from other voices in the body of Christ, as well as uh, in a small way to give Lloyd, Bill, and me a little bit of a break. So we have appreciated that, and thank you. And we've heard just incredible responses from people, how much they enjoyed each of our four guest speakers. If you weren't here, they are all online. You can go and and retrieve those. You can watch them and or listen, whatever you prefer. They're on our website. One of our friends over the years, Dr. Kirk Thompson, I've known him for 20 plus years, has become a friend of fellowship as well. He's been here many times. A psychiatrist by training, written a book called The Anatomy of the Soul. Uh, Kurt has a line perhaps not unique to him, but he often says, pay attention to what you're paying attention to. Pay attention to what you are paying attention to. Now, in this room right now, probably most of you are listening to me, but let's just be completely honest, candid. You're not going to hurt my feelings. I'm old enough now. My feelings just don't get hurt. How many of you get bored in a sermon? Just raise your hand proudly. I get bored in my sermons. How many of you get bored? Raise your hand. Come on, let's see. Now, the first service was a lot more honest than y'all. Everyone raised their hand at 8 o'clock hour. Um, Sometimes we get bored. Sometimes people are bored. That's really why I became a preacher. I'd rather be boring than be bored. But um, what happens when we listen to a communicator, watch a program, listen to media, is our mind goes a hundred directions. We're all somewhat technically ADD, are we not? We're distracted by things. You're someone who's in front of you, their perfume, their clothes. I like that dress. I like that purse. We're looking at stuff. Uh, That kid made noise. We're distracted in an audience, in a room, and then our minds run. All the things I got to do today. What I, what, when we had some friends this morning, we're going to go to the pancake pantry mistake on Sunday, but they're going to go stand in line, you know, and they're thinking about the pancake pantry, what they're going to eat, or what you're going to do this week, or you're on travel, or vacation coming up, or maybe you're just depressed, or discouraged, lonely, really frustrated, heartbroken, waiting on a medical result, upcoming tests. Maybe you're in love. Maybe you're having a great time. You're excited. Summer's going fantastic. Got a new job. Things are looking up. Maybe you're expecting a child. And we have all these emotions that run through us at different times of our life, and it's hard to pay attention to what we're paying attention to because that noise never stops. If you're like me, if I wake up in the middle of the night, my brain goes 100 miles an hour. I hate it. Can't stop it. Can't turn it off. My father died three years ago this September, and I called Kurt. He's a friend, but he's also a shrink. And I said, I need to talk to you as a doc. For an hour, we talked on the phone. I said, help me with my dad's death. And one of the things he told me was, Michael, pay attention to what you're paying attention to. You're paying attention to some things over here that may or may not matter, but What are you paying attention to? A believer in Jesus Christ has this luxurious thing called wisdom at our disposal. And the Walk of Wisdom series, hopefully, is helping all of us to pay attention to what we're paying attention to. 
to be wise men and women who follow Christ at His Word, follow the Scripture, follow the people of God when we're growing together, you've got to pay attention to what you're paying attention to because the moment you walk out of this 32-minute message, your mind goes a thousand directions, as does mine. That's our human nature. So how do we pay attention to what we're paying attention to? Now, I love to go fly fishing. I know nothing about it. I can't even call myself an amateur. I'm, I'm sub-amateur if there's something below that, but I still like to do it. There's a young man in our church. He's at the Franklin campus, uh, Chris Veal. He's a good friend. Chris is a great fly fisherman, and Chris once in a while will take me fly fishing. That's you go with somebody that knows what they're doing. And we go out to Caney Fork, and Chris reaches down up to his shoulders and pulls out a decaying, decomposing log, and he flips it over and teeming with these little white worms, and he runs his hand through it, and he says, this is such and such. It's going to become a certain fly in a few days, and this is what we're going to fish with. And he goes over to his flies, and he finds that larva that becomes a mature fly at some point, and that's what we're fishing with. See, see, Chris thinks like a fish. He knows what fish eat. He knows where they are. And they're not over there. No, Michael, they're over there. Not where you threw it. It's over there. And he knows where to move on the river. And he knows when the alarm goes off where we can go and fish for another half hour, an hour. He knows how to do these things. He's wise in the ways of fly fishing. For me to become as good as Chris will take a lot. <laughs> it may never happen. But it will take knowledge. It will take application of that knowledge and as I take the knowledge and applying it and I begin to understand it now I've got wisdom I've got to know something knowledge I've got to understand that knowledge and then I have to apply it and that's biblical wisdom medical residency is a great example you go to med school for a number of years but until you're underneath another physician's tutelage and you're in surgery you're in the OR you're doing a procedure you have knowledge but you've got to understand why you're doing the procedure and you got to apply you got to do it enough to where you have it now you have wisdom to actually cut someone open and perform bypass surgery wisdom is the same thing we don't get it by osmosis we don't get it without knowledge understanding that knowledge then applying it and now it equals wisdom. Open your Bible, please, to Proverbs chapter 8. Proverbs 8 is perhaps the definitive chapter on what wisdom is and is not. And wisdom here is calling us. Wisdom is calling out. And so if you're staying with me, I want you to pay attention to what you're paying attention to when it comes to wisdom calling to you and me. Now, as a reminder, wisdom is personified as a female. We read she, she, she all through the book of Proverbs. When we began this series, I gave you some definitions of the term, and then we talked about Proverbs 31 not being the superwoman, but the ultimate personification of what wisdom looks like. She is also put in contrast. If you were to look back a page to Proverbs chapter 7, verses 8 through 12, you'd see the secret seductress, the harlot, the prostitute who's lurking in the streets, who's left her home at night. She's out prowling, if you were, if you will. And Solomon puts this in juxtaposition to that's the seductress, that's sin personified. Wisdom personified looks like this. 
And in chapter 8, verse 1, we have two rhetorical questions, both expecting a positive answer. Does not wisdom call? Answer expected? Yes. And understanding lift up her voice? Expected answer? Yes. So the chapter begins, wisdom is calling out, wisdom is yelling at the top of her lungs, we might say. Let's read the first five verses and get the context. Does not wisdom call and understanding lift up her voice? On the top of the heights beside the way where the paths meet, she takes her stand. Beside the gates at the opening to the city, at the entrance of the doors, she cries out, To you, O men, I call, and my voice is to the sons of men. O naive ones, understand prudence, and O foolish, understand wisdom. Understanding here is one of the key terms in the wisdom literature. Wisdom, understanding, and knowledge are the three key terms in English. Understanding here is the ability to discern. We discern between right and wrong. We discern uh, people's actions. We discern what we see, what we hear, and sometimes what we feel. I have this strange nose. Um, I have this nose of discernment. Sitting out, we'll meet a couple and spend some time with them, and I'll get in the car and I'll go, the jury's still out. I can't explain it. I don't know why it works. I've just got a nose. Bill, you'll often hear him say, he'll say, I've got a check. And he won't make a decision when he has that check. I don't understand what that means, but I do, right? And sometimes you just, you have this discerning thing going on. You're not really sure, so you need to give a little space and time and think about it. Discerning is the ability to look at something and go, not sure. And then when you make a decision, you've made a discerning choice. It's not bulletproof. It's not always right. But that's what understanding means. It's the ability to discern with in the Bible, with our eyes, with our ears, and even with our emotions, we can be discerning, understand. Lewis Goldberg writes, Wisdom nor understanding come automatically. We must pursue it with diligence. It is not IQ or intelligence, it is character. And one is at fault if he does not have it. You can't just osmosisly acquire wisdom but it calls to us all the time, are we paying attention to what we're paying attention to? And it will take time for the knowledge, as we understand that knowledge, we start to apply it, and then we gain wisdom. And that's the discipline, if you will, of becoming a wise man or a wise woman. Notice in verse 2 and 3, the metaphor that Solomon, through God's Spirit, gives us on the top of the heights beside the way where the paths meet she takes her stand at the gates the opening of the city and the doors this is a hebrewism a merism of a kind if you think of a city it's a, a walled city and there are gates usually a primary gate the bigger the city the more gates and the gates were closed at night for two reasons to protect the citizens within and prevent enemies from without and you have sentries on the wall that are watching. It's true in many ancient cities. Uh, archaeologically, it's true in some cities today. If you visit Israel, you'll see gates all over the old the Herodian walls of Jerusalem. And those gates were there to protect the citizens and to keep the enemies away. The picture that Solomon is giving us is that wisdom is at the gates, at the doors, and at the busy places of life. We might say wisdom's everywhere. 
the, the language they would hear was, at the highways, at the byways, at the hills, at the valleys, wisdom's calling out from every corner and every place where people are, wisdom is present. The author's telling you, you have no excuse for not gaining wisdom because wisdom is calling out from every place where you are. Wisdom is available and calls to all who will hear. Derek Kidner of chapter 8 writes, and I've commended Derek Kidner's book to you. If you are a student of Scripture, it's a small book. Do not be uh, misled by the brevity of his writing on the book of Proverbs. He's with the Lord now, Histon Cambridge scholar. But what he can say in a few sentences took a lifetime of study. He writes, the chapter soars beyond time and space. It opens at street level to make clear, first, that the wisdom of God is relevant to the shopping center and to heaven itself. Two, that it is available to the veriest dunce. <laughs> the veriest dunce. And three, it is active in seeking us so that our own search, earnest as it has to be, is a response, not an uncertain quest. He packs a lot in a short line. Wisdom is calling. It reaches to the heavens and the marketplace. It's available to all. And it doesn't matter if you're smart by the world standard or by an IQ test, you can still be wise because wisdom is available to all. Wisdom's virtues in verses 6 to 13. Wisdom's virtues in verses 6 to 13. Listen, for I will speak noble things and the opening of my lips will reveal right things. Things. Now let me pause for a minute. Noble things and right things are a parallel construction. One of the things that Proverbs does, as all wisdom literature, are a lot of repetitions and restatements. And if you start to train your eyes when you read, look for things being flip-flopped and repeated and restated throughout the Proverbs. And that was a structural device to help us learn. Not only the Hebrew mind, but our minds today. So noble things and right things are parallel. Noble obviously sounds like nobility. These are things fitting of royalty. Things that would be uh, to the advantage of the king or the leader. Noble things and right things. The word right means level or ethical or upright. So he's saying these things have nobility to them. This is how a leader should lead ethically and morally and always doing the right thing in the right way. That's what we expect of a leader. Listen, I will speak of noble things, wisdom says. The opening of my lips will reveal right things. And watch as I read the emphasis on what comes out of the mouth. Verse 7, for my mouth will utter truth. And wickedness is an abomination to my lips. All the utterances of my mouth are in righteousness. There is nothing crooked or perverted in them. They are straightforward forward to him who understands, and write to those who find knowledge. Take my instruction, and not silver, and knowledge rather than the choicest gold, for wisdom is better than jewels, and all desirable things cannot compare with her. I, wisdom, dwell with prudence, and I find knowledge and discretion. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride and arrogance in the evil way, and the perverted mouth I hate." Now, the, the audience here of naive and fools, Proverbs uses simple, naive, and fool interchangeably, but sometimes distinguishing them. The naive and the simple are those who can learn. 
when we hear the word simple or simpleton, we take it sort of like a sting. It really doesn't mean that in the Old Testament. It means wisdom. I, I am below simple and naive when it comes to fly fishing. I just don't know. But a fool, more often than one, is one who cannot or will not learn. So you waste your blows on a fool. We looked at that a few weeks ago. You waste words on a fool. But the simple and the naive are those who can pay attention to what they're paying attention to. They can hear, they can listen, they can learn and gain that knowledge that then they can learn to understand and apply and then they will grow in their wisdom. When I read words like ethical and right and noble, my mind wanders to our political landscape, both here and abroad. I don't know about you, but I'm weary of political leaders lying to me. And I'm saddened by what happens in Syria and Egypt while we all talk about it. There are no simple remedies, I know that. But wouldn't it be great if all our elected leaders, men and women, appointed officers, judges, or men and women of nobility and ethical character, integrity, always did the right thing in the right way, worked together for solutions, not just lobbing bombs at one another, not snarky, hateful speech. That'd be wisdom. My hope is not in the government or the White House or in the chambers. My hope is in the gospel. But we as believers can certainly pray for men and women who've taken that oath. Especially those who know Christ because they get vilified and beat up far more than we are aware. It is an ugly business. But wisdom speaks noble things. Wisdom th speaks the right thing. If it's important for a leader, it's important for a business owner, it's important for a student, it's important in a home, it's important as a husband and a wife, it's important in life that we speak well as wisdom has spoken. This is the same thing we see in Paul's writing in Philippians 2.15. He says, so that you will prove ourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. Innocent children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. Do you think we have a crooked and perverse generation today? among whom you appear as lights in the world. Wisdom's benefit is manifold. Not only does the individual grow in wisdom and knowledge and grace of God, but it affects people around you. Paul understood that when he said, if you live in a crooked and perverse generation above reproach, you're not only helping yourself and others, but you're a light to the world that doesn't get it. I often tell Christians, you know, if you could learn to smile and be gentle and kind and firm, you will do well. We're beaten down and vilified and relegated to the margins of insanity because we don't know how to smile and be gentle and kind and firm. And you have opportunity, whether it's a school board, a neighborhood, in your workplace, in a conversation with a friend, be loving and gentle and kind and firm. We still have that freedom on Independence Weekend. Whether we'll have it for long, who knows? Listening to wisdom, practicing wisdom takes time. And as you listen and practice, you 
improve. Years ago, I think I was 17 or 18, in my teen and early 20 years, at the drop of a hat, I would go backpacking, uh, winter uh, camping, climbing, kayaking. We would leave from Houston, Texas and go to Colorado. And if you remember those years, uh, you could get into a car and you could drive 24 hours uh, to destination without a problem. We, we would take turns driving, stop for gas and a break, and we just drove straight through. Today, I'd make it about six hours and be in a rest stop sleeping, you know. But in those young years, you could drive like a banshee. And we were so young and strong and, and stupid, we would drive nonstop and get out and backpack six miles in the day we hit the ground. And we just, that's the way we did things. And we go camping and climbing and winter backpacking and all sorts of fun stuff for young people. One time driving along from Houston to Amarillo, which is the longest drive in the universe. The old, the old joke about uh, the sun is riz, the sun is set, and here we is in Texas yet. I mean, you just, you know, you drive and all, like, how, this state is stinking big, yeah. And um, I was driving along and one of my friends who was the professional mountaineer among us, he said, Michael, can I... Can I give you a tip about driving? Well, thanks a lot, you know. So, sure, you know, I'm 17 or whatever. And he says, you know, if you will look, instead of two or three cars in front of you, like 10, 20 car lengths down the highway, you'll stay in the lane better. Implication. You'll also see a lot better and be aware of what's going on. And to this day, when I get in the car on the highway, I can hear Danny telling me that. Michael, look down the highway. Don't look four cars in front of you. And you see this all the time when you're on the highway driving. What? If, if you're looking down, you'll see that there's some cones or a wreck or an accident, unlike 90 other cars that don't see it till they're on top of it hitting their brakes because they're looking three cars in front of them instead of 10, 20, 30 car lengths down the highway. And it's something, I don't understand all the laws of physics, but when you look way down the highway, you do stay in the lane. It's amazing how it works. But you have to have the knowledge, understand it, and apply it over time, and then you become a wise driver. And you can see things long before they happen. You can get out of the way long before there's traffic because you're looking way down the road. Wisdom is calling to you and me. Are we paying attention? We're paying attention. Are we looking down the highway of life, our spiritual life, saying, what is way out there? Not just here. I walked in this morning and made the comment in our green room. I said, you know, 70% of our congregation, when I walked in, was doing this in their chairs. It's just our culture, just our context. Look up. Look around. Wisdom's calling. Wisdom's available to anybody. But it takes time. For those of you young boys and girls in the room, teenagers, young students, I want to talk to you. And your parents, you have to promise me you will not elbow your children or talk about this later. <laughs> young 20-something adults, teenagers, who's the loudest voice in your life? Who's the loudest voice in your life? What's the voice that means the most to you? What movie star rock star, model, what's the person that you pay the most attention to and you like the most? And when you think through that loud voice that you're listening to, what are they teaching you? What is it about that person that you like so much? My daughter is a stylist. 
she cuts my hair. And I go in and I always have a picture of Brad Pitt on my phone <laughs> of when he was uh, death in Meet Joe Black. And I say, if you were any kind of style, it's a true story, you'd make me look like this. Just to joke with her. And she laughs at me and she says, no, Dad. And uh, I was talking to her the other day and a couple of styles were around. And I, I, and I said, what is it with people wanting to do that? And she said, you know, we have all these stacks of, of hair magazines, you know, style magazines. And the number one thing a woman wants when they come into that salon is make my hair like Jennifer Aniston's. And this other cosmetologist said, I'm sorry, honey, you don't have Jennifer Aniston's hair. We can't do that. And they were talking among them. It was a fascinating conversation listening to them. And I said, what about the guys? Oh, they want to look like Bradley Cooper. I didn't know who Bradley Cooper is. I had to ask somebody, who's Bradley Cooper? But I guess they want their hair to look like some bedhead guy. I don't know. But um, both these little girls were saying, you don't have that kind of hair. You can't look like that person. I'm sorry. Let's find some pictures that would look good for your, your face. And your, that's what a cosmetologist does. They study all that stuff, how your hair grows. And I mean, there's actually a science and art behind that. They know what they're doing. But they can't make you look like Jennifer Aniston or Bradley Cooper. Sorry. Why are we listening to those voices tell us what to look like? I saw a one-panel cartoon, politically very incorrect, by Scott Stannis a while back in the Chicago Tribune. Two big athletes from the back, Tim Tebow on the one side and Jason Collins on the other. The reporter is standing by Tim Tebow, walking away from him. Tim Tebow's bubble says, I'm Christian. And the reporter says, you don't have to talk about that. The other one, Jason Collins, says, I'm gay. And the reporter all smiles saying, tell me more. You're my big hero. That's the culture we're in. Who are you listening to? The world doesn't care about the Tim Tebow nut jobs of the world. They're going to make fun of us and vilify us. Grow a backbone. We live in a world. Who are you listening to? If the music you listen to exploits women, objectifies them, uses the F-bomb, vilifies law officials, denigrates the country, and you call it artistic freedom, I beg to differ. It's trash. I'm not a prude. I'm not against freedom of expression. I'm not against freedom of speech. If you fill your mind with that, it will affect your attitude. It cannot not. Who are you listening to? Don't listen to music I listen to. For God's sake, please don't listen to music I listen to. You'd, you'd be more bored than me. I listen to stuff nobody listens to. That's not the point. If Paul says we're to be above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation whom you appear, whom I appear to be lights to the world, that's wisdom. And my last fatherly message to you young men and women as a father of three daughters and one son, young ladies, Please don't let them tell you what to look like. I beg you, do not put your body type up against the emaciated heroin look bulimic model. 
I implore you, do not try to look like they look. God made you. God loves you. You're unique. You're beautiful in His eyes. His voice is more important than the latest star or musician or actor or actress who in a few years will be old news. He loves you. You don't have to be like those people. You don't have to try to be like those people. And as my daughter would say, you can't have Brad Pitt's hair, Dad. We'll work with what you got. I implore you. I know just saying it doesn't change your life. I know that. I'm not stupid. But I want you to hear it from somebody because I don't think anybody's telling you. Don't try to be what you see in print and in a movie. You don't have to be. Most of it's a lie and photoshopped anyway. It's not real. It's a fantasy. Wisdom is having knowledge understanding that knowledge and applying it over time and you will learn I don't have to look like that person to be beautiful or special or important. After all, how many of us have seen someone who's trying to look like somebody and they shouldn't try to be looking like that person? Just think old men in certain swimsuits. I'll say no more. You don't have to try. We don't want to see that. We don't like that. Put some clothes on, would you? Do not let the world teach you theology, young, men, young people. Do not let the world tell you what God thinks of you, I implore you, because He loves you. Not how you look. Okay, back to our text. Rewards of wisdom are listed in verses 14 to 21. I will not read it, but I want you to note in your Bible the first person pronoun jumps off the page it lights up this text verses 14 to 21 depending on your english past your english translation you'll have up to 16 times i mine me or my jumps off the page it's such a dramatic change as you study proverbs 8 it gets your attention i me mine he's talking about wisdom speaking now just a couple of notes counsel sound wisdom power justice honor wealth righteousness the end of the section, verse 19, my fruit is better than gold, better than pure gold. The metaphor is simple. Wealth is good and fine, but wisdom is worth a whole lot more. Wealth will come and go. It will flee. We'll lose it. We'll invest it. We'll give it away. We die. Wisdom you will have forever. And so he makes the comparison and contrast between what the world values. Wisdom gives you a reward that lasts forever. Verses 22 to 31, wisdom's preeminence. Most English translations break the chapter here and start with a, a new paragraph, which I agree with. It starts out with the word, the Lord. I call this section Proverbs creation account. Proverbs creation account. Wisdom existed before creation, and wisdom was put to work at creation. Again, Derek Kidner. Here is wisdom's prime credential. Wisdom is what Yahweh, the Creator, counted primary and indispensable. Wisdom is both older than the universe and fundamental to it. Not a speck of matter or a trace of order came into existence, but by wisdom. Wisdom is the spring of joy, the maker's and the creature's delight from God's 
perfect workmanship. So when you go to the mountains, to the beach, to the lake, whatever you like to do, Caney Fork River, in 55 minutes from my house in the water in the Caney Fork River, I feel like I'm in a different place in a different world, and I don't understand all I know, but I feel closer to God. I'm looking at the order of creation, not this. And I'm marveling at sounds I so often miss because of the noise of my life. I can just stand there in the water and have a wet line and be the happiest fisherman on the planet. I don't have to catch a thing. I don't, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> Whether it's under a microscope or an MRI or a CAT scan or a telescope, the creature sees wisdom, intrigues us and marvels us, and we wonder about it. We scratch our heads and we're taken away by it. Wisdom existed all along. Finally, wisdom's plea and promise in verses 32 to 36. The section is summarized. Listen, heed. The first person pronouns continue. Wisdom herself is calling out to you. Are you listening to wisdom's call? Are you paying attention to what you're paying attention to? A promise is given here. Life and favor will come from God. Proverbs 8 began in verse 3 with this picture of gates, doors, accessible places. And in verse 34, it ends with those same gates and doors. This device in Proverbs 8 is one of Kidner's observations. Why it's such a beautiful chapter. And we might say it bookends wisdom. Wisdom is still calling, still making offers, still making promises available to anyone who's willing to learn. Jessie also was a phenomenal athlete in her uh, high school, junior high years. She played soccer 14 seasons, so we spent a lot of time on the sidelines of a soccer field watching Jessie play with her team, and it was a delightful time. Uh, we became very close friends with the parents, as that often happens in these long-time sports. But uh, I would coach Jessie from the sideline, as any good dad does. You walk up and down and you yell at your kid, you know, and uh, I, the coach and I were very close friends, and I didn't overcoach, but I would say things like, you know, get your head in the game, Jesse. Run, Jesse. Run. Look downfield, Jesse. You know, Jesse uh, was one of the fastest, if not the fastest girl on her team, and uh, her, Jesse had to get just a little bit mad to be good. And if a girl tripped her up or pushed her just one too many times, Jesse would steal the ball and go make a goal. Nine times out of ten, it was called back because she was offsides if you know the rules of soccer. And that was one of the hard things to teach her as a little girl was offside. And it is kind of a hard concept, offsides in soccer, because I'm, I'm running, I got the ball, why can't I go make a goal? Well, you're offsides until this line, this imaginary line occurs. So the coach and I had this thing about, run, Jesse, that was the key. You can now go, kick it in afterburners, go for it, kid, and she can make the goal. And it's a delight to watch. And uh, she would always say, Dad, I can always hear your voice. I can always hear you. Above everything else, I can always hear you. And I wasn't like screaming, but she heard her father's voice. One afternoon we were playing a team. We were way ahead, as was often the case with these girls. They had played together so long. And so I was talking to two of the dads, and we were chatting away, and I was not paying attention, and Jesse made a goal. And the team erupted, and I said, who made the goal? Just like that, who made the goal? And from the end of the field, she goes, I heard that, Dad. And she's never let me forget it. Are you listening? 
Are you paying attention to what you're paying attention to? Wisdom is calling. Wisdom is on the sideline of your life all the time saying, don't go down that road. Stay faithful to your husband and your wife. Be a good worker. Do the right thing in the right way. Don't let the world teach you theology. Turn your eyes away from that. Turn your heart away from that. Go home be the kind of husband you need to be. Go home be the kind of wife you need to be. Raise your children. Be an obedient son or daughter to your parents. Don't go down that path. Don't start experimenting with drugs. Wisdom is always on the sideline along with the Holy Spirit and God's Word. Always, always calling to us saying, I will teach you. And I will make you a promise that the world cannot give you. Will you listen to me? What are you paying attention to? Proverbs 8 would be a great so what for you this week. Read it once a day. Every day. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth. Immovable truth of what your scripture holds. Help us to listen and always hear your voice. To have a God confidence in an immovable, unshakable word. To be at rest, to be content, to be at peace. Knowing that you love us more than the world can ever provide. In Christ's name, amen. God bless you. Have a great week week.